good morning, everybody. You notice it's a little different. Um, having your pianist gone will make you appreciate when you do have one. Uh, but Miss, Miss Betty's a little under the weather, her and Keith both. In fact, you notice my crowd's not here. Well, I got Joe Hannon, brought him in, but uh, there's a lot of people a little bit under the weather. And so things are going to be a little different. Bear with us as we work through our order of service. Um, we'll do the best that we can with it. And uh, as we always do, we're going to begin with a word of prayer. Um, dear Heavenly Father, we come to you uh, giving you thanks. Um, Lord, we, uh, if we open our eyes, Lord, we stand in awe of you and all that you've done for us. Uh, Lord, many times we're looking ahead at things that we hope that you will do. Uh, but God, just help us to always stand on that firm foundation of what you have done. And namely, we speak of the great gift of salvation that comes by faith alone and that it was paid for by the very blood of Jesus Christ. And so, God, we uh, come to you now just asking your blessings upon our worship service. Uh, Lord, we pray that in the body of this, uh, or in the fellowship of this body of believers, that, uh, God, there would be peace, that there would be unity, and that it would all be founded on the good things done for us in Christ. We ask your blessings upon us, upon each family that's here. And, God, you know what we need, and so we just ask that you glorify yourself. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, I'll make just <clears throat> a couple of quick announcements. Um, well, first let me say this. Welcome to Hammer Creek Baptist Church this morning. Uh, it is a privilege to be here. Uh, we had a little bit of a touch and go morning at my house, um, and uh, I, I immediately felt better just being here. And I hope that you guys get that when you come to church as well. Um, so welcome. And uh, I, I will remind you that we, uh, well, I say we, the, the Women's Center is doing their baby bottle fundraiser. And if I'm not mistaken, this is uh, one of the biggest fundraisers that they do for the entire year. It is the most uh, profitable for the ministry. And so if you would uh, take part in that, use, one, use a baby bottle as a piggy bank. Uh, this is just for the month of January, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, we'll try to collect by mid-February. Okay. Um, and there might be a few bottles still in the back, um, uh, left over here on the, in the vestibule. Um, so be mindful of that, um, that we're where we're partnering with the uh, Women's Center. Also, uh, there is an announcement that's been in here for a long time as we have been planning the trip for a long time to the Creation Museum and Ark Encounter. Um, where's that at again? Ohio? Kentucky? Kentucky? Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, this, this trip is something we've been planning for a while. And some of us said, yeah, we, I, it's one of those, I, I've always wanted to go. And so my family's going. Um, I'm, I'm happy to go to the museum, but I want to see that ark. And uh, so anyway, if, uh, if this is something that you have planned to go to, or maybe you haven't even planned and you're thinking about it, um, we're going to meet right here in the sanctuary, matter of fact, right here next Sunday, right after service, and we're going to talk about uh, total cost, and we're going to talk about uh, rooming arrangements and that sort of thing, and I, I understand there's some freedom as far as that goes. Um, so just make plans to do that. Um, if you have even a little bit of interest, and you're allowed to come to the meeting to find out more and decide not to go if that's, uh, if that's where you're at. Um, there was one other announcement that I didn't write down. Any other announcements? Somebody knows it. Oh, I know what it is. Um, looked up there and uh, saw Mr. Webb and uh, was reminded. Um, had a church member that hadn't been able to come for a few weeks. And uh, they mentioned that although they were unable to come, that they had benefited from the uh, podcast. 
and uh, I should have got some information, but you'll see a slide um, right here. And so if this, by the way, we don't ever want somebody that can come to church to skip church. Matter of fact, let me just go ahead and say, um, if you can come, I think you should come. Uh, in fact, I, you know, you don't get saved by good attendance to come into church, but I have seen so many times in my life where people don't come to church, and then things keep popping up where they can't come. And so if you can come to church, do come. I think it's always a blessing to gather with God's people uh, to hear God's Word. But when you can't, or maybe you know somebody that can't, and you could share this resource with them, um, it's, it's, I understand it's just the sermon, but that's what it's there for. And uh, we, we do want to make God's Word, uh, well, we want to make Jesus famous, and we do that through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And so uh, do be mindful of that. It is a, a good resource, and we're very thankful for that ministry um, that our church has. Um, and I have no other announcements. Are there any others before we move to prayer requests? All right, let me make a few, um, several. Um, I'd like you to, you'll see a list of the bereaved families, the Blackman and Green families, and also the Nathan Ingram family added to that. Remember um, Logan Belt uh, going through his treatment and uh, that whole situation. I want, uh, do remember uh, folks that are sick. Uh, I've said this before, but I've, I've never seen such lingering sickness and so many coughs and colds and sniffles. Uh, so go play outside, take your vitamins, exercise, eat right, whatever it is, uh, but pray for people. And this goes for my family too. Um, it's just been something, it's been one of those years. I want to ask that you continue to remember the Bowles family um, as, as they are uh, doing their best to adopt uh, two young girls, half-sisters, and bring them into a Christian home. Uh, pray for that situation. Remember Nan Whirl. This is uh, Carol's sister. And uh, she asked also that we remember John and Beth Hall. Um, remember the Paperworks employees as it will be shutting down in the very near future. Um, and remember Mikey Bird. Uh, Steve and Sue are not here today, and I assume that's why. But Mikey Bird, I understand, has a brain bleed. I don't know any details beyond that. Um, just pray for that situation. And, um, and, and pray for... Pray for our church as a whole. And I want to mention one. I don't have any details about this, um, but, but I know that Jackie Howe, I think everybody knows Jackie Howe has been going through cancer treatment. She got some bad news. She has not spoken with her doctor. Uh, as I understand it, uh, I talked to Todd yesterday. He said that uh, she looked on, um, you can see your results online somewhere, and uh, she saw that it said her cancer had spread. And so this is um, certainly not what they were hoping for. And... Um, just pray for that situation, and uh, I do ask God for healing uh, where it might be His will. I know that He knows all things and that He always has a plan, but um, He asks us to come and cast our cares upon Him, and so I'd ask you to join me in doing that and just pray for her every single day. Um, what other prayer requests would you guys like to mention?
Okay. Well, let's uh, remember, remember Allison. All right, just just keep her in your prayers, and you pray for her the most. All right, but we'll join you in that. What what else? Did you say knee replacement? Okay. What else? Yeah, I've got several of those on my list as well. I do this from time to time. Show hands for unspoken prayer requests. I think if we're honest, we've probably all got them. Um, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer now and uh, just ask the Lord if He would to intervene. And uh, I know that God knows all these needs. Uh, we're commanded to pray uh, for each other and uh, to care for each other. And, uh, you know, many times, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to preach on it in a minute. I'll just save it for that, okay? Albert, would you remember these?
Lord, for the sick, heal D. Lowry, Lord, for the, the Marie family, give them comfort as only you can. Lord, we ask you to bless this church, bless each and every individual here, and bless our country. Help us come back to knowing and depending on you. Lord, for our military, give them, give them peace. Lord, uh, above all, head to children's church if they're going. Um, I want to ask you if you would to take your copy of God's Word and turn back to 1 John. We're going to continue our study in 1 John. And uh, 
You know, I think part of the preacher's job when doing exposition is to, to find seams in the passage. In other words, I, well, I've said this a hundred times, I'm going to remind you that 1 John is a letter. Now, the way that we study in church is we read it many Sundays like it's a whole bunch of letters, but it was one letter. And so there's a unity to all of 1 John. And uh, so we want to continue to remind ourselves of the context. And it was very difficult not to include verses 12 through 14 last time, but I opted to leave them out just for time's sake. And today we're going to take those uh, uh, few verses by themselves. It's only three verses, and it's almost like a poem that's inserted here. It fits exactly with what John has already been saying. He's not introducing anything new here. Uh, you will see that there's an emphasis on knowing God. Uh, you will see that he, in fact, he speaks to three groups, sort of. Uh, you will see the address to those groups as children, fathers, and young men. By the way, if there's any ladies here and that just hurts your feelings, I apologize. I didn't write this, but uh, you're included in this. Um, and so I hope that you don't look at this as you being left out, but rather you will realize that you fit in here as well. And so I want to remind you that 1 John is largely written in a day and age when the Gnostics were creeping into the church and introducing false teaching. They were introducing heresies. And so he is saying we must have our faith built on the apostolic faith as delivered to the apostles by Jesus Christ. And he gives a litmus test, or two actually, on how to know that you're in the faith. And the first of those uh, was the, the commandment test. In other words, if you, if you know God, you obey His commandments. Now, lest anyone fall into some terrible guilt, he reminds us that none of us is perfect, that all are sinners, that we all still need grace, that we all still need Christ. But we, we should live a life that is mostly marked by victory over sin. And he also gives another litmus test, and it's the one of loving the brethren. And so if you hate your brother, if you hate other Christians, if you dislike Christians, then you are failing that test because we are called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you, uh, if you say you love Christ and hate your brother, the Bible says that you're a liar. And so we are to love the brethren. And so today as we look at this address... This, uh, and again, it's almost like a poem here, the address to the children, the young men, and the fathers. Let me just say at the outset that if somebody is 50 years old and they have lived 50 years abandoned from Christ, a, a life apart from Christ, rejecting the gospel, and then they come to a saving knowledge of Christ, uh, they experience regeneration today, then they are babes in Christ. They are the little children. But I think as we read this, that what we will see is that what John is doing, he's not trying to come in and divide the church up and say, you guys are babies, you guys are young, and you guys are fathers or elders in Christ. I don't think that's what he's doing, but rather he's making a theological point and there are some things that he wants us to know. And so what I want to ask you to do is to stand for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to read 1 John chapter 2. Verses 12 through 14. John begins by saying, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for His namesake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, 
because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And uh, we're going to take this, uh, and and by the way, um, I mentioned three groups. Let me just go ahead and say, if some of you take it upon yourselves to uh, study this on your own, and I doubt anybody here is using a Greek lexicon, but you can. This is a tool at your fingertips on the internet, and uh, you can, if you if you do look these things up, and they are useful. The Bible was indeed written in Greek, or the New Testament was, and uh, it is useful. And you will find that little children in verse twelve is a different word than children at the end of verse thirteen. In fact, at the beginning of his address uh, in chapter two, John says, "My little children." Um, let, me, let me just point out that the young men are addressed twice and that the fathers are addressed twice. And if we don't make a big deal about children and little children being different, then they're addressed twice. So I, I'm not going to complicate this. I want to keep it uh, simple. I believe that it is simple. Um, but I believe that he is making a foundational statement when he speaks first to the children. He says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Now look, keep, John has written this and he's given this test and undoubtedly when, it, when you read in a church and this church in John's day, or churches, it was many churches that would have received this letter. And when you read this letter in a church today, a church like Hammer Creek Baptist Church, that some people might read these words and they might read... But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And they might think, well, I don't always walk in the light. I mess up. And so John here, while he wants you, he wants your salvation to be challenged if it's a false faith, he wants you to know that if you truly have Christ, that you truly are saved. And so his address here is that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That was from chapter 1. And then today we see him say, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his namesake. That's a short sentence, but there's a lot there. Let me say that if I said this every single Sunday, it would not be time wasted. Christian, your sins are forgiven for his namesake. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I need to remember this. I need to be reminded of this. And I want you all to know that I don't care if you came to Christ when you were 5 or when you were 50 or when you were 80. When you come to Christ, you come carrying something that you can't carry. And it is a sin burden. It is a burden that will weigh man down into the very depths of hell for eternity. And only Christ can free man of that burden. And by the way, only Christ does free men from that burden. And so when here when he says that your sins are forgiven... You must remember that that burden is not yours anymore. Christian, you cannot carry it. You will not carry it. It has been bought and paid for by the very blood of Jesus. So to be a Christian, even a brand new Christian, is to have all your sins forgiven. Now every time that we, uh, we come to this wonderful topic that reminds us of the complete total forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ... 
I almost can't do it without saying that this never gives license to sin. And the Bible deals with this. And in fact, if you would say, Christ has paid for all my sins so I can go on in sin, then you should doubt your salvation. You should doubt that you have ever been to the cross of Calvary. You should doubt that you have even the most elemental understanding of the sacrifice of God sending His only begotten Son to die for your sins. But if you have indeed been to Calvary, then you can know that the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from, and I'm going back to, to chapter 1, all sin. All the sins that I committed up until the day that I believed the gospel. All the sins that I committed in the day that I believed the gospel. And all the sins that lie yet ahead of me. All sins forgiven. The Bible mentions this complete forgiveness in a myriad of different ways. I want to give you just a couple of them. You can jot these down if you would like to go study them in your own time. But Psalm 51.1 says this. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Listen to this. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. So the request here of the psalmist is that the sins be blotted out. Now, let me just tell you what that means. It means marked out, done away with. In fact, have you ever seen a piece of paper? Um, and I have to admit, I am just nosy enough that I have done this several times in my life. I'll see where somebody has written something and then scribbled it out. And you can do this number. And you can kind of figure out what has been scribbled out. That's not blotted out. You know what blotted out is? It is marked out in such a way that it cannot be uncovered, that it is absolutely and completely done away with. And this is granted by the blood of Jesus for all that have a saving faith in Him. When it says to wash away my iniquity, it doesn't mean a way that Daddy does laundry, where the stains are still on the shirt. When we're, it means clean. In fact, the Bible says that though your sins be as scarlet, they will be washed as white as snow. That they be red, they will be white like wool. Completely and totally washed away. Cleansed. In another place, this is in Psalm 103 verse 12. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgression from us. Completely removed. Gone. It says in Isaiah 55 Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, I think we all know what pardon is, but if you don't, it's when you're guilty and you're granted freedom. In fact, we see this uh, with governors and presidents. When do they always pardon? It's at the end of their term. You ever notice that? Do you know why they do that? Because the risk's over, I'm going out of office. It looks bad to give a pardon because so-and-so has been condemned by the law, guilty in the law and deserving of the jail time that they are serving. And then the governor will come along and say, well, I've got the power of pardon. I sign their pardon. And it doesn't matter if people hate me for it because I'm not going to be the governor tomorrow. It looks bad, but it does not look bad when God does it. Because God's pardon is different than man's pardon. God's pardon is paid for. So in other words, whereas you deserve death, 
God paid for it with the death of His Son. So He didn't just sign some piece of paper and say, I forgive freely and cheaply. He says, I forgive freely because my Son paid the price. This is the pardon of God. And do you know what? If the Son, the only begotten Son, pays the price, then it is completely paid and paid in full. So little children have their sins forgiven. That is Christians, even the youngest and newest, have their sins forgiven for His namesake. In Micah, it says that He will tread our iniquities underfoot and you will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. I don't know how deep the sea gets, but I like to think that that's, that's what this kind of refers to, that our sins are sunk so deep into the sea that they could never be recovered, that they, are, that they implode under the pressure of the great depths of the deepest trenches in the ocean, completely and totally done away with. And by the way, the forgiveness of sin, I realize, some of y'all are probably sitting out there like, well, preacher, we know we have forgiveness of sins. You need to be reminded of it. And I need to be reminded of it. And if anybody that sits out here today, if you start calling some of your sins back to you, you start remembering, I think this is what we call guilt. Guilt comes creeping up on you for things that you have done in your past. They have been paid for. Put them away. You cannot carry them because Christ has blotted them completely and totally out. And this is the foundation of the peace and the hope and the joy that we have in King Jesus. Matter of fact, this is where worship comes from. This is where a desire to have a deeper knowledge of Jesus Christ originates. When you met Christ, you met Him as Savior and Redeemer because of the great love that He poured out on you. And so if, if you dare to forget, I urge you to come back to Calvary. And let me remind you that in Revelation chapter 2, uh, in the letter to the church of Ephesus, by the way, this is the only place in the Bible where you have the letters written by Jesus, though penned by John, written by Jesus. And he urges the church at Ephesus, he says he's got something against them, and that's that they've left their first love. Now, if you think about a Christian that comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that adores Him for the great price that He has paid at Calvary and they worship Him with all of their heart because of what He has done for them and focused on this great love for Christ, namely, at Calvary, because of the work that He did there in conquering their sin and giving them pardon, and a Christian can sort of slowly begin to walk away from this. Not that they become unsaved, but they begin to focus on the great doctrines. Uh, they begin to study their Bible in a more of an intellectual sense. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, you should do that. But not to the abandonment of your first love. To the exaltation of Jesus Christ and what He has done for you. And matter of fact, He says to repent and do the works that you did at first. And if not, I will come and remove your lampstand. I don't know of a church of Ephesus today, which means I think that that lampstand, that church, exists no more. I think that's what you call getting too big for your britches. I don't know if any of y'all, uh, my grandmother used to say that to me when I thought I knew more than I did. Uh, and she'd say, you're getting a little big for your britches. And she'd remind me of my place. And sometimes Christians somehow can become consumed with things like self-righteousness. By the way, I believe that the church of Ephesus, just based on the letter... They fought against the heresies of their day. I believe that they had a good grasp of the doctrines that are given in the Bible, given in God's Word, and that they fought against the false teachers of their day. 
but they abandon their first love. And may our first love be the foundation of our Christianity. Now we're going to talk to the old men and we're going to talk to the young men, but can I say something? You can't become a young man without first being a child. You can't be an old man without having gone through both of those. Now, I know that there are some things that when we grow up, that we put away. We call this childishness, childishness. And we would say that to a young person growing up, stop being so childish. But that does not mean that we abandon all things that are childlikeness. And I hope that you will let me differentiate between childishness, which by the way, Paul says that when I was young, I was like a child and I put away childish things when I became a man. That's childishness, but not childlikeness. And let me give you an example. There are some things, some attributes of children that ought to be hung on to and so many times are lost as they grow up. Things that are, I will say, punished out of them or purged out of them by the world. Can I give you an example? In a little child, you see the ability to just be fascinated. Children can just be in awe of something. And I'm going to tell you that when a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they're like that little child. They can't believe what Jesus has done for them. And a little child, the first time that they see fireworks or when they see a little puppy or when they see a great work of art, they're just fascinated. And you can fast forward 30 or 40 years and that same person that had that, that childlikeness, that sense of wonder and awe and that ability to be inspired can walk by those same things and it's almost like, yeah, I've seen that before. That's old stuff. A Christian should never walk away from what he says here that the little child in Christ has. Complete and total salvation. Complete and total forgiveness of their sins. And you should remain in wonder. And you should still be curious. And you should still be in awe of God. And you should still worship Him and marvel at all that He is that He paid that your sins are covered and completely. Now the next address he gives here, he doesn't go little children, young men, and fathers. He addresses the fathers, then young men, then children and fathers and young men. Now I don't know why the order is that way, but I assure you it is that way for a reason. But when John addresses the fathers, and I believe here that he refers to those that are mature in the faith, those that have known Christ, have been walking with Christ, have been obedient to the faith, that live a life of victory, the kind of people that can teach the Bible, the kind of people that can be in charge of Sunday school classes, that can be trusted with the things of the church, and that are leading their families like wisely, and that is that mature Christians know the Lord. Now, I have to be honest with you, I, had, I just changed this. In fact, mine says... Fathers, older Christians, have a teachable knowledge of the Lord. And then as I was, I always study again right before I preach. And it doesn't say that they have a knowledge of the Lord. It says that they know the Lord. And those are two totally different things. You know, the devil has a knowledge of the Lord. Lost people have a knowledge of the Lord. People that hate God have a knowledge of the Lord. In fact, my Bible says all people have a knowledge of the Lord. So much so that they are without excuse. But some people... Christians know the Lord. Now look, it says fathers here. So before you say, well, the old Christians know the Lord, look down in uh, the bottom of verse 13. I write to you children because you know the Father. 
So in truth, this is a Christian knowledge. It is Christians that know the Lord. And let me just say something. I've heard language like that my whole life. And I understand that when we say that so-and-so knows God or I know God, that that is, well, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Is he standing here amongst us in flesh and blood and muscle and bone? No, he's not. But yet we still can say that we know him. I guess I never gave that a whole lot of thought until one day a preacher told somebody that I worked with that he knew was a lost person, not saved, no faith in Christ, and he said, you need to go talk to Rupert. You have a great privilege that you work with somebody that knows God. He didn't say that knows about God. He said, and that was the first time in my life that it ever hit me like that. So let me say something. Christian, you know God. You know Jesus Christ. By the way, I'll, let, let me fix that real quick. Who's it talking about here? I have a little bit of a tough time with that. He says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. Well, you might just say, well, that's God. But if you go back to chapter 1, that's exactly how Jesus is described. I think we're supposed to struggle with who that points to. Do you know why? Because they are, in a sense, one and the same. Our God is triune. Three distinct persons, but one God. And my Bible says, before I tell you what my Bible says, there are all kinds of people that say God. There's only one type of person that knows God. Because Jesus said, no man comes unto the Father but by me. So if somebody says that they know God but they reject Christ, I don't know what they know. But it is not the Almighty. It is not the Heavenly Father that the Christian has because he is only known through Christ and through Christ alone. Now the Father's here. They know God in Christ Jesus. And I do think that this is a mark of maturity. In fact, if you go back to chapter 1, this knowing Him, it is related to having fellowship with Him and walking in the light. In other words, it is believing the gospel, the entire truth of the gospel and walking in it, living a life worthy of it. And in chapter 2, he says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him, knowing the Lord, if we keep His commandments. Now look, you can't read it in this uh, paragraph here in chapter 2 and not go back to that, because he's already mentioned how you know you know Him. You know you know God through a life of obedience. You know that you know God because you love the brethren. So to know God, it's to believe the gospel and it's to live like it. Now it's not just children and fathers that John addresses here, but he addresses the young men. I, I really like this. And uh, you know, if you think about the sort of admiration that we have, and not just young men, but don't we like to see, I'm getting older now and I'm, I'm, I'm starting to admit it. And I have to tell you, at 41, my best days are gone. My youth is slipping away. It's not just a gray hair. It's the pain in the left elbow, and it's a left ankle. Man, is it all the left side? I don't know what I've done to the left side. It's the left shoulder, too. And guess what? It is what it is. And God uses these weaknesses uh, in my own life to reveal Himself to me, and sometimes I'm mature enough to thank Him for them. But you know what? I love to see a young man in all of his strength. And I love to see an animal in its prime. I'm a deer hunter, and I make no apologies that I like to hunt the biggest and the baddest of the bucks, the ones that have the youth 
on their side. And by the way, a, young, a buck is still in his prime at five years old. He is all that he's supposed to be. And we admire that when we look at livestock, whether it's a stallion or whether it's the bull out in the cattle lot, whatever it is. We like to see the power. And he says here to the young man, listen to this. He says, I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. Boy, that sounds all kind of young man centered and young man built up. Hang on. Look in verse 14. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, just as a young man can trust in his strength, so can a young Christian trust in their strength. And I'm going to tell you, it would be a trust misplaced. All of the trust here is a spiritual trust. All of the strength here is a spiritual strength. And so we must recognize that the one who has overcome, by the way, he says, you have overcome the evil one. He doesn't mean on your own, and I'm going to prove that to you in just a minute. In fact, no man can. This is the idea, and by the way, there are a lot of churches that preach the gospel this way. They give the, the sinner the idea that they're sick, and if they can come crawling to Jesus for some medicine, that they'll be completely well, and they'll be able to fight off the devil and all this other sort of stuff. That's not the way the Bible paints the picture of salvation. It doesn't say that you are sick in your trespasses and sin. It says you are dead in trespasses and sin. In fact, R.C. Sproul said, it's not as if God came and gave the sinner a spoonful of medicine, but it's rather that he looked down into the depths of the sea and saw a corpse dead and lifeless and cold, and that he swam down there and pulled him up and breathed life into him. This is a better picture of salvation. This is more accurate to the biblical record of salvation. So when he says, you have overcome the evil one, yes, there's some responsibility in your court. This is what it says in Revelation. Those seven letters, each of them has a promise to the overcomer. In the ESV, it says the conqueror. It's the same person. He says, to the overcomer, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. He says in the next letter, to the overcomer, he will not be hurt by the second death. In the third letter, to the overcomer, I will give to him a white stone. That is the stone of absolution, of complete forgiveness, with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And in the fourth letter, to the overcomer and he who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations and he will rule them as with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken into pieces, even as my as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Yes, that does mean that the Christian has, as part of their eternal inheritance, they have some co-heir, some co-authority with Jesus Christ, under the head of Jesus Christ. In the next letter, he says that the overcomer will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. The next promise to the overcomer says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. And then lastly, he says, I will grant to the overcomer, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. The promises to the overcomer are clearly and only promises to those that are in Christ Jesus. 
In fact, if you, have a, if you struggle with what the overcomer is or if you might dare to be so prideful as to take this upon yourself, my Bible says, and we'll get to this when we get to chapter 5 of 1 John, but in 1 John 5, 5 it says, Who is it that overcomes the world except the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The overcomer, therefore, is the person that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, the whole truth of the gospel. In fact, John also wrote the words of Jesus in John 16, verse 33. He said, In this world you shall have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let me say it this way. Young Christian, in all your strength, you need the strength of Christ. The overcoming that is done, the overcoming of Satan, the overcoming of temptation, the overcoming of the world is accomplished only in Christ Jesus and in nothing else. But to the, so this refers not to physical strength, but spiritual strength. A strength of will that comes from being sold out to Jesus Christ. There are some people that when they fall into temptation, they can't say no. That's terrifying. The Christian has this power and has this ability. They have this strength in the Lord Jesus. Before you can even know whether you should say yes or no, you have to have the knowledge of what is good and bad. This comes from Christ and from Christ alone. It is given to us by God's Word. You have to have, there's something that goes beyond knowledge, and that's wisdom. The ability to apply the principles of God's Word broadly. And there are all sorts of strengths. Um, there's the strength of courage to begin an endeavor. There's the strength of perseverance to see it to the end. And the Christian should have all of these disciplines because they are in Christ Jesus. Now let me just show you something here. If you sit here today and you think, well, I don't know if I have the strength that he's talking about. I'm going to tell you where to get it. Because it says right here, it says, I write to you young men because you are strong and... The Word of God abides in you. You want the strength of God? You read God's Word. You meditate on God's Word. You come to church and you hear God's Word. Uh, you know, in fact, Jesus Himself, when He was tempted in the wilderness, He relied completely and totally on God's Word. And if Jesus must rely on God's Word, then indeed we also must rely on God's Word. So how do you have the knowledge that you need? God's Word. The wisdom? God's Word. The courage? God's Word. The strength? The force of will? God's Word. It will come no other way because it is God's Word that teaches you, strengthens you, informs you, and ultimately empowers you. All Christian strength comes from God's Word. So let me just say in conclusion that we are to have as these new babes in Christ have, a sure knowledge of perfect forgiveness and never walk away from this. Never, I'm going to tell you, if you do, you'll begin to lose adoration of Jesus Christ. You know, I just told you, you can't carry that burden of your sin, and I don't want you to. Uh, don't carry it, but I'll tell you, something that's nice to do once in a while, lest you become holy and self-righteous in your own eyes, is to just look back over your shoulder and remember what He drew you out of. Remember where you came from. Remember what He did for you and through you and to you because if you're a Christian, you're not who you once were. There has been great change brought about in your life. Don't lose your first love. Never forget 
what exactly was paid for by the blood of Jesus. And as a young Christian, grow in strength. In fact, I have called this growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That actually comes from uh, Peter's letter, not from John's letter here. But I thought it fit so nicely because we are all to be always growing in the, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Growing in wisdom and discipline. By the way, I'm not going to launch into it. But Christians ought to be the most disciplined people on earth. Now sometimes with discipline comes these ideas uh, that are not very friendly. And people say, well, I don't want to be disciplined. Those people are all stuffy. And you know what disciplined people are? They're in control. Undisciplined people are controlled by emotions, thoughts, whims, whimsy. In fact, I saw a commercial, kid you not, the other day. It was for a pill that you could take if you were HIV positive. And the guy uses the line, I can live in the moment because I take whatever the name of the drug was. Don't live in the moment. That's what got him in that mess in the first place. And living in the moment at your whims will get you in a mess. You need to be disciplined in all that you are. And the way that you do that is with a sure wisdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and of God the Father. And by the way, the source of all of this, I could say this every Sunday too, it's not dreams it's not somebody that has a YouTube channel and they're using uh, world news networks to come up with their own prophecies. On the... Christians, you will get lost in that and everybody that has done that up until now has been wrong. You know, my Bible says that Jesus himself nor the angels know when the end of the age is. But everything you do need to know is right here. So forget your feelings. Don't say, I feel like God is telling me. That's your heart telling you, and your heart is, I'm sorry, Christian, but it is still black. It is still wicked. That's why you needed Jesus in the first place. So don't trust your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And know that it's only through God, only through Christ, that you have the privilege of growing in Him, of learning from Him. And eventually, and I hope that all Christians do this, teaching others about Him. You know, there's a statistic about the percent of Christians that never share their faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know if you've been a Christian for one day that you can share your faith? Now look, there's a lot you can't share. And there's a lot that if you're asked questions, you have to say, well, I don't really know. But you could do like the guy says in John, this much I know. And tell them what you do know. Your testimony about how you have faith in Christ and it changed your world. But if you've been walking with Christ for 50 years, you ought to know more. You ought to be able to answer some of those questions. And you ought to know that we are victorious in Christ Jesus. And I'm, I could end every sermon this way. I don't. Uh, but I'm going to read you what this passage reminds me of. Whether you are a babe in Christ, whether you, like a young man, are just finding your footing in Christ, or you are an old man with a sure knowledge of your Lord and Savior... Paul says in Romans chapter 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul answers this question. He says, no, in all these things, even if these things do happen, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we give you thanks for... We thank you for the Son. We thank you for the great work that He did at Calvary. And I thank you, Lord, that the believer has not one sin that they can carry that every single one of them has been blotted out and cast as far as the east is from the west. I pray, God, that every person that's in here today and everybody that has heard these words will find their strength as a young Christian coming only from the Word of God, trusting in you and the power of you in their life. God, may we look to you for all things. And Lord, may we all remember that the great privilege we have is because we know you. And God, we pray that as we journey through life from the youngest of us to the oldest, that each day we would know you a little more, that we would know you a little better, and that as we draw nearer to you, Lord, we might come under more conviction, that we might find our own dirtiness, our own filthiness revealed as we venture out of darkness and into light until the day comes where we meet you and we stand before you and it is no longer faith but experience. And God, we pray that as we live this this life of faith that you would continue to conform us into the image of your very Son, Christ Jesus. We ask it all in His name and for His glory. Amen. I'm going to ask you all to stand if you would. And we're going to have a little music here. And we're going to have the altar open. And this is a time of invitation. If you have anything you want to ask me or come say to me, this is the time. for your attention today and I want to leave you with a challenge you know my Bible mentions some books that are going to be opened at the end of the age and one of those books is not a book that men will be judged out of but it's a book called the book of remembrances this is a documentation of how much we have thought on God and so here's my challenge in all that we read about knowing God I just ask that I've prayed this for you but I want you to pray for yourself that you would know God better this week. And you can pray it again the next week and the next week. But there is no privilege like knowing God. And I think many times people focus on who they know in this life. 
I know so-and-so, he owns the business. I know so-and-so, he was the lieutenant governor. I know so-and-so. None, these are all men. But there is one person that you can know that is so much more. There's one person that you do know that is so much more. Know him more and know him better. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Cody, would you dismiss us?